0: are you an adventurer looking to take your hunt to the next level then you're in the right place welcome to east meets west hunt with your host Bo tonic
1: hey everyone welcome back to another episode of the east meets west hunt podcast presented by onyx with onyx I just want to remind everyone as you're getting ready for your hunts this year, everything else to download your maps ahead of time. So if you're going into an area where you might have, you know, little to no cell reception, that that doesn't mean you're out with the Onyx Hunt app. So you can still have all those great mapping features and everything at your fingertips by downloading those maps. So as you pull out your phone app, there'll be a little thing at the bottom that says offline. You click on that, hit download new map, select the area that you want. I usually go with the highest resolution area, which you know controls the area down a little bit smaller, but I'll just download separate sections of the map to the desired size that I would like. And once you download those to your phone, and I do usually do that you know, when I have Wi-Fi available so that it doesn't use up data, but whenever you go out in the field and you have no cell reception, you're on airplane mode, want to save your battery, just go on the OnX app, click that offline use, and click the little button that says go offline. Make sure you do that to be able to pull up the maps and... Then you have full access to your downloaded areas for, you know, full offline use, not using much battery data, nothing like that. It's all just on your phone, ready to go, but it'll still track your location. So if you want to check out the Onyx Hunt app, uh, you can use the coupon code EMW at checkout and you'll save yourself 20% off that. So check it out, onxmaps.com. In addition, the University of Elk Hunting, so Corey Jacobson, who I had on the podcast here earlier this week, and Elk 101 have come out with the most fully comprehensive elk hunting course available, from anyone from beginners to uh, expert elk hunters, really. You can learn some good stuff from this course, and the one section that that is really helpful and is something that we'll be talking on this podcast with Josh about is the meat care and packing section. There's a video on there about quartering out an elk. You can, with the elk, the University of Elk Hunting app that you get access to with this course, you can download that video for offline use. So, like you can with Onyx Maps, you can do this for this video. So, you're out in the field and you're kind of getting stumped on a step where you're supposed to doing some cuts, things like that. You can pull that open and watch that video. So, check out the University of Elk Hunting. And the online course there from Elk 101. Use the code East West to save yourself 20% at checkout. And also Maven Optics. So Maven has come out with the highest quality optics available at half the price of their competitors. to so their direct consumer business model. And with this business model, they also are you know they give you the options to be able to fully customize them. So. If, thousands of options and color selections and changing things up from the body to the little rings to everything can be customized. And for your need to have your own, you know, personalized optic choice. So check those out at mavenbuilt.com. Use the coupon code West dash gift to save yourself. Well, what you'd be saving yourself is you get a free gift with every order of a full price optics. So check that out. And it could be anything from something small to now gene bottle, maybe some swag, who knows? Uh they'll be giving you, you know, a mystery gift with that. And also Heather's Choice. So if you're getting ready to go on a hunt here soon, you might want to act on this and and check out Heather's food options available at Heather'sChoice.com. Healthy, high fat, high protein food options available, dehydrated, and just you know basically like eating a home cooked meal, but in the backcountry. So check those out online and use the code East Meets West on any orders over ninety nine dollars. Get you free shipping. So check that out. Um, And other news before we get into this episode here um, with Clint Casper, I just wanted to say that I did get set up an Amazon store. So what that means is I'm not selling like my apparel on there or anything from East Meets West, but basically anything that I use that Amazon sells, I put into different gear lists on Amazon's website. So you can go on there, go through all my items and, you know, and see them right there and purchase them if that's, you know, what you're looking to do. But with, with those orders, so just to give you a kind of a heads up, anything that you would buy off there, I do make a small commission off of it. So I want to put that out there and let everyone know, but that's kind of a way I thought of is You know, I can make a little bit of money to support the podcast here, but also give everyone a good place to be able to find, you know, all of these options and everything that, that I'm using for the most part, not everything's available there and I'll be updating as it goes, but I have sections for whitetail hunting gear, archery equipment, backcountry nutrition, backcountry hunting gear and camera gear. So that'll change as I keep going through and adding different stuff. But uh, the private link, I'll keep in the show notes here. But just to let you know, it's amazon.com slash shop slash bow, which is B-E-A-U dot Martonic, M-A-R-T-O-N-I-K. So if you're considering looking at some of the stuff that, that I'm into, I really appreciate you visiting that storefront and helping support the podcast there a little bit. And lastly, I did just get in the new adventure now gene bottles they came in and are ready to ship so they turned out pretty awesome you can check them out on the website eastmeetswesthunt.com/shop and from now until the beginning of next week you can use the code september is calling and save yourself 20% off any order anything that you buy off the website so it's a largest deal that or i guess discount that I'm run, I've run to this point so check that out. It's only we're going to run for a few days, but uh, I want to let everyone know those are up and available. So check that out. All right, enough uh, talking here. Let's uh, jump into this podcast here with Clint Casper. Clint Casper, what's up, buddy?
0: Oh, my man, my man, not much, man. Gosh, it's been uh it's been a little while since we've jumped on and hit record. Been too long.
1: Yeah, the last time you were at my house and it was back in I think March and we did a little scouting together and I, I haven't seen your lovely face since then.
0: Yeah, that was that day that what did we find? Like sixteen, seventeen singles, couple oh no, we found what, three match sets and then a bunch of singles? That was like probably the best day of elk shed hunting I think I've ever had.
1: Hey tsh- we told everybody we didn't find any. <laughs> we can't can't be giving out our secrets here clint
0: we uh we found a ton of bush lights and we walked a lot of miles um but yeah we uh technically if you want to get technical we didn't find any elk sheds but i mean realistically like that's not the goal when you're shed hunting for elk sheds i mean it's more about the fun and the sights and the adventure and you know. <laughs>
1: hey, I've been using that excuse for hunting out West now for three years. I don't think you can use it for shed hunting.
0: <laughs> well, you know, if it weren't for guys like you wearing it out, I'd be able to use it. So thanks for that,
1: buddy. <laughs> I apologize. So, Clint, before before we start getting into our, our normal conversations here, um don't don't get too long winded as I know you can, but give a brief introduction as you know uh, you know to yourself and for anyone that's you know new to the podcast since the last couple times you've
0: been on. Yeah, so uh, obviously my name's Clint uh, Clint Casper from Northeast Ohio. Grew up on a dairy farm. Uh, been farming my whole life. Um, got two little guys. Easton's three, and my youngest Keaton's going to be seven months. So. Definitely a busy time of the uh, busy time of life for Clint as far as what the kiddos go, but I uh, wouldn't trade that for, for the world. Um, yeah, man, been hunting and fishing pretty much my whole life. Uh, got into bow hunting super hardcore when I was probably around like that 10, 11, you know, in the maybe 12 year old stage. And uh, just kind of have always wanted to do something, you know, with with that kind of drive and passion started off with whitetails and turkeys there in Ohio and just branched out into wanting to go more places and do more hunting and extend my season and um, always wanted to get into writing and and right around the time I was in college I kind of started that that journey and been doing that for about 10 years now and um, yeah man it's just kind of blossomed into me doing a ton of traveling and adventure bow hunting and pretty much been bow only now for like the last seven or eight years and finally after about 10 years the writing's taken off i write full time for peterson's bow hunting and uh do some side work for deer and deer hunting and bow hunter and eastman's bow hunting journal and um, a lot of blogs and, and online stuff uh working class bow hunter and bow's blog there on east east west and so yeah uh that's kind of kind of the rundown uh just uh just a blue collar guy that loves to bow hunt and loves adventure and uh, travels all over the place, uh, aimlessly all over the West, looking for um, a mule deer, which I haven't been able to capitalize on yet. But that's going to change this year. Um, and if not, I'm probably going to sell all my stuff. So, hey, keep me in mind. If I don't punch that tag, I'll probably have a shitload of bow hunting stuff for free.
1: <laughs> no, <I'm just> <laughs> you know no, it's funny, though, Clint, is the fact that you're a writer and you still can't read, that's what's amazing to me.
0: Well, I mean, no one ever said you have to be able to read to write. I mean, I just basically, for example, like Christian over at Peterson's hunting he's such a good editor that, you know, I can just give him my chicken scratch and be like, yep, it's 2,000 words. And he can decipher it and actually put it into, you know, paragraph format and and actually insert commas and kind of, you know, I mean, it's kind of almost like, I guess it'd be like having to like relearn how to read maybe like hooked on phonics probably is probably what he's had to go back through to like decipher what <laughs> I've got going on. But I mean, it, it, they continue to have me write for him each month. So I mean, whatever I'm doing, I'm going to stick with it.
1: You know, um, Christian to told continue, me, you know, Christian told me that you just talk and you record your voice and then he puts it and like types it up into words. That's what I heard. I mean... I'll stay, I'll believe your story. Cause you're the one talking and I won't, you know, embarrass you in front of anybody else, but Hey, whatever.
0: Well, I'm going to have a talk with Christian. Cause I really don't like him putting me on blast like that. So, you know, <laughs> I mean, I just, just congratulate, you know, I, I was just getting ready to put him on social media blast for that nice goat that he shot in Montana. And, uh, you know, because of him blasting me like that, now I'm going to have to tell everyone the real truth. You know, they hit it with their truck. He stuck it with a, a rage and a, a gold tip and took some photos and that's how that buck went down i, I hate it i hate to be that guy but it's a sword for a sword you know what i mean
1: <laughs> oh yeah oh man clint <laughs> oh, it's good to, it's good to have you back on buddy that's for sure yeah so clint always fun you're getting ready to take off out west you said in your intro there that you love adventure bow hunting and you're about to go on a pretty serious adventure for uh some mule deer in colorado right
0: yeah, yep, that's where it's going to kick off for me this year. It's going to be uh, kind of the annual trip. This will be uh, trip number four, um, solo, DIY, all, you know, public backcountry. Um, man, just uh, pumped to get out there and uh, get going. Just, it's been, you know, um, it's kind of been my, you know, nemesis have been these these big muleys. I mean, I've, I've been so close and at pool draw, and I mean, I, I have not loose an yet um i mean i've just been so close like seconds away and it just seems like it's always been something and i just blocked off a bunch of time this year and i just pretty much told work look i'm not coming home until my hands are on velvet or if they've already shed <laughs> on hard horns i mean but re- realistically i'm just not coming home until I either A, run out of all supplies and money, or B, I kill my buck. So there's kind of my options.
1: Yeah, that's, uh, that sounds about th- th- when you called me, that's exactly what you told me. I told work that uh, I'm not coming home until I bring a mule deer back, and they kind of gave you a, a weird you know, vibe about that. But I'm sure by now they expect that out of you.
0: Yeah, I mean, they pretty know come August through November, it's, it's kind of rare to see me more than a few days per week. I mean, hell, sometimes it's only a few days per month, so, you know, it's, they, they understand. I, th- I think the second year I worked there full-time, I had built some time up, and I think I was off from October 28th, I was hunting two certain bucks, and I think I was off from October 28th, right before Halloween, I don't think, I killed my buck till like the 27th, so I didn't go back to like the 28th, so basically four straight weeks I was off. And, um, yeah, they they get pretty dumbfounded about the fact that I would use all my time to go aimlessly sit up in a tree at 20 feet and stare off into the abyss from dark till dark for days on end. But you know how it is. I mean, it's a... Uh, <laughs>
1: Wait, you mean you don't go to the beach or anything else in the summer?
0: Well, I mean, that's, <laughs> you know, I mean... Technically, I mean, there are a few pretty cool lakes that you could say—I mean, sort of—resemble like a small beach that's up in the high country of Colorado. That I mean, you could have a beach party up there if you put some sand and I mean, there's rocks, there's water. I mean, it's 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 basically the same thing. A whole bunch
1: of people. It's the
0: comforts of home. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, it's basically the same thing. But oh yeah, no, they they've they've come they've come to just realize that this is you know, this is kind of what I do. I take my chunks of time with the kiddos and then during hunting and farming season. So that's kind of the, uh, yeah, it's always kind of the running joke whenever I go on a hunt. They're always like, well, I guess we'll see you when we see It could be seven days, might be 17. I'm like, well, yeah, you never know.
1: <laughs> that's great. And with your job, you're basically, when you work overtime, you're able to comp time to be able to take off. Is that correct?
0: Yeah, yeah. So So you get you know, um, a certain amount of like after you work a year, you get two weeks vacation and any overtime you can use for comp. And then once you're there seven years, you get three, once you're there, I think it's 15 years, you get four. So like your, you know, your vacation ends up being four and five weeks a year, but then your comp can be another four or five. So, I mean, you know, like there's some years where I end up with like seven, eight weeks paid vacation off, you know? So it's, yeah, it works out pretty nice for, uh, you know, the, the, the dad stuff with the kiddos and then the farming and the hunting stuff. Yeah, it's definitely, uh, it's pretty, uh, pretty sweet little setup that, um, I was fortunate enough to kind of, uh, put in play for myself. So yeah, that's definitely a plus come fall.
1: Awesome. So when you're going out this, this time you're heading out this, this episode, when this release is here, it'll be a week from the day we're recording it. So you'll be leaving a couple days after everyone else is hearing this. And you're heading out by yourself for a solo trip, which is kind of a signature Clint Casper type hunt, isn't it?
0: Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've fallen in love with the, the solo adventure deals. Um, it's, I don't know, man. I just, I feel like all year, I, those are the hunts that I look forward to the most. Uh, I love hooking up and hunting with buddies. Um, and I mean, that's always fun, but the, the solo ones, I kind of feel are like, like the Super Bowl or, or like, like the title fight. I mean, you, you know, like those are the ones that keep me up at night. Those are the ones that I, when I'm training and and I'm getting tired or I'm shooting and I'm, I'm getting fatigued. It's like, those are the ones that pop into my mind and kind of make me kick into another gear. And, um, you know, I just think about how tough mentally and physically those hunts can be, how challenging they are. And I mean, you know, that's kind of what, has always intrigued me about the solo deal. Cause I mean, it's not for everyone. I mean, I'll be honest. The first one I ever did, I I left and I was like, man, I don't know. Like, I I don't know if I really would want to do that for nine days again. And then about a week later, I literally like could have just cried cause I missed it so much. So it's like, like, I mean, and it's just, and every time I've done it from there on, it's just like, it just keeps getting worse and worse as far as like that burning desire to do more and more solo stuff. I mean, I I just like the solitude and it's kind of a you versus you out there. I mean, if you mentally, you know, let yourself get down or get out of the game um, and you're not consumed or immersed with what you're doing out there. I mean, you're in trouble. So, I mean, it's almost like a, a, a game between you and yourself. I mean, you can be your best friend or your worst enemy out there, but I just, I like that challenge. I mean, to me, that's just the ultimate. You're trying to survive. You're trying to live with the animals back there. You know, the high country stuff, you're up, you got lightning, you got bears, you got, I mean, you know, it's just a, there's a venture at every turn and, and every move you make, I mean, it sounds crazy, but every move you make could be life altering at any moment. I mean, guys get altitude sickness and they've got to drop down a a thousand, two thousand feet in a hurry, you know, so they don't get sick and die up there. Uh, you got to know where to camp because of lightning, you know, you need to know what to do with food and stuff. So you're not attracting bears. Uh, I mean, just, you know, it's, it's just such a mental game that I've just grown to love. Um, you know, I'm sure by now anyone listening can tell that I'm, I get pretty jacked up talking about, uh, solo hunt so I'm gonna I'm gonna shut her down before I ramble on for another 10 minutes but yeah (laughs) yeah that's kind of my uh that's kind of my jam you know that better than anybody we we talk about the solo gigs all the time
1: yeah I, I think I talk to Clint on the phone more than I do just about anybody else and uh and it's all his excitement Is into every single phone call. That's that's for sure. They're usually animated from the both of us. We're very similar personalities, and when we get together, it's usually not a very good thing. And I'm glad that we live, you know, (laughs) three three and a half hours apart. You know,
0: I'm actually sad about it, but that's fine.
1: Yeah, yeah, me too. Yeah, totally. (laughs) But. Anyways, Clint, so what I want to really kind of dive into this conversation with you here is talking about, you know, especially with mule deer here, and, you know, this can also apply to elk, but I want to talk about the, you know, the glassing, the spot and stock aspect. That's something that, i haven't talked about a whole lot on this podcast and and honestly i'm going to be doing a little bit of that this year and you know some more glassing hunting some more open country and i want to know you know what it takes and kind of some of your strategies with that so i guess to start you know when you're you're going to be going your are glassing for deer and elk and and maybe this is different for both the animals i'm not you know 100 percent sure but how are you starting to look for glassing points? Are you scouting for those ahead of time? Or are you waiting to you get there? What's that look like?
0: Yeah, so um, from the get-go, I mean, once I get a unit, you know, kind of picked out and figure out kind of where I'm going or where I want to go or, 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 you know, even make sure I get the tag. Um, from that point, what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to pick out areas that I want to hunt um, areas that off of my research, you know, whether it's, you know, uh, through Onyx or GoHunt or, or the Eastman's, the MRS or whatever, you know, whatever form of research, you know, the, the state agency websites, et cetera. Uh, once I figure out kind of the areas that I want to be in, then I'm, tr- I usually on a, uh, I'll print out like a, I'll buy like a national geographic, like a big waterproof map and, um, the mark on that right off the rip with like highlighters like the areas that i want to focus on and then from there a different color would be points like high points or points off of like say you can use like the overlays on um, onyx or google earth and and really get a good bird's eye view of spots that look like they would put you in good glassing positions now everything's always different whenever you get there and you get on foot so some of these spots that i pick out aren't going to be as good as what i thought i'm not going to be able to look into a drainage as well as i thought or sometimes it's well that spot might be okay and then you get there and it's really awesome so i mean but this this kind of gives me a rough idea of potential points of interest that i want to get to for sure that that should be good general areas to glass from um and I mean, once I get there, you know, then from there you can kind of fine tune it. But I think it's really important to have this stuff done ahead of time, because if you just go in without a plan blind, um, you're going to waste a lot of time when you should actually be heading to these spots or actually hunting, sitting back and trying to figure this all out. So, I mean, and I mean, I'm, I know you do the same. I know you've been researching, you know, stuff for your elk hunt. And I know you're, you're, you know, doing the same exact deal with the overlays on OnX and with... Google Earth, and using Gohan, and et cetera, et cetera. Um, but that's kind of where I start, though, is I try to get those points. And then once I get those points figured out, then I do like to try to use, like I said, Onyx and Google Earth as much as possible to try to get as many different angles as I can. And then I really, from there, try to sort of kind of align, like, okay, this is sort of where I want to start. This is like glassing point A. So then that will kind of dictate where I'm going to maybe camp, maybe the first five or six nights, you know, I want to be close to spot one, two, and three, or if I camp here, I can hit these four glassing points. That'll be my start point. But there again, everything changes. I mean, you know how it is. You get there and maybe there's 20 guys at that trailhead. So now there's a ton of guys in there. You weren't expecting that much pressure. Now you got to go to plan B or plan C. So I try to have a a bunch of these. I usually honestly try to have more points, glassing points and spots, glass from picked out than i could possibly ever get to on an entire two-week hunt i feel like more is way better than less so i i probably go way overboard on this um but with public and pressure i mean you just don't you just never know what you're going to get into until you actually get there um and i'm sure you're probably doing the same thing you know you've yeah. got you don't just have a plan a and, a, and a, you know there's not just a plan a and a plan b for your elk hunt i'm sure there's Multiple plans, backup plans, backup, backup plans, et cetera, et cetera.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's one thing that I've learned you know with that is even before you know one mistake I'd make, even though I had like a bunch of places that like that I had you know planned a, B, and C, they were all within like one section of like a mountain range. And I've learned to have you know at least three different mountain ranges that you know within the unit that I can drive yep. to if I need to, you know, cause like you said, you can get to a trailhead and it could be completely packed with people and, and you could still, you know, yep. get, you know, use those people to your advantage sometimes, but you know, that's not as fun, especially for glassing, you know, with, when you're doing something like that and a guy comes up the middle of the, the drainage and blows everything out, you know, that's not, you know, that's not very fun to have to deal with and you need to have those backup plans. And I do the exact same thing with, I have so many, points established because i can almost promise you that 80 percent of them are gonna be blown out in one way or another and i don't mean to sound negative with it it's just that's the facts you know that's what it is and so when you're like when you're looking for these glassing points clint um are you trying to be able to see a couple different basins at one or not like you know valleys or like the sub um you know parts of basins or what are you looking for? Are you trying to be able to get to a few different spots within a general area? It's kind of what you're sounding like. Just give me a little rundown of what those look like.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, so it's nice to find spots where you're at like the hub. Like if you imagine a hub on like a wagon wheel, you know, where each spoke would be a different direction or maybe a different drainage. I mean, and, and those are like, you know, when you can find, um, you know, uh, like, Uh, a saddle or something, you know, say that you can cross over and you, and you can run the next ridgeline, you know, out. And when you're on that ridgeline, you got four or five different, you know, basins or little bowls or little drainages to look into. I mean, that that's ideal. Um, Obviously that's not every single spot. Uh, It'd be nice if it was, but I try to look for those spots first. Um, because those spots are going to allow you to cover the most country with your glass the quickest. So, I mean, from a starting point, I would rather be able to go to a spot that I can see three or four drainages maybe, or I can see, um, you know, a bunch of different little bowls or a bunch of different, you know, drainages plus all oh man, there's a saddle over here behind me where pressure on the other side might bring, but you know, I want to be somewhere where there's a lot of features, um, just to get a feel for the unit, you know, just to kind of get a feel for what's going on. Um, and then I can fine tune from there. Now, um, a lot of little hidden spots, you know, there's, there's some spots where you might only be looking into one drainage, but it's way off the beaten path. It's five miles from the nearest road. You know, it's a spot that probably most people aren't going to want to get into those spots. Uh, I'm for sure going to be highlighting and definitely want to get into Because once pressure hits, I mean, those little pockets, you know, could absolutely just be money. And especially if they're, like I said, if you can get into, you know, some of these wilderness spots, I mean, you can get back eight, nine, 10 mile. And I mean, there's no way to get there besides foot. So, you know, you've just cut out 60, 70% of most guys because they just don't want to travel that far or they don't want to camp back in there by themselves, or they just don't want to put the effort in to go that far back. So, I mean, you know, the, the average guy probably isn't going to go back there. So I try to find, spots like that too but like for for mule deer um you know above timberline stuff you know up in the high country i mean you know the feed is everything so i mean if you can find those willow patches you know that are that are down in some of those higher basins and you can find you know some of those drainages that just have a bunch of neon green and and you know they they love those rock bands they love the cliffs i mean you know they just they love that sparse timber up there and little hidey hole spots to get in out of the sun and bed and then move a little bit midday. And I mean, they're constantly in feed. I mean, that's kind of what I'm, you know, it's after doing it a couple times, I kind of can look now and be like, Ooh, that spot on Google earth just looks Bucky. And I mean, and that's hard (laughs) to explain, like, you know, I mean, it's kind of like us in whitetails, like, you know, you can look at a a spot in big timber over there and be like, yep, this just looks like in November, there would be bucks coming through here. You know, I can look at a farm on a map and see certain funnels and see certain things and be like, yep, I'll guarantee you that's a bucky spot come October, November, you know, and it's been, it's, that's kind of where I'm at with muleys now is, I mean, some spots, you know, they've just got that, that nice lush feed and you know, when I'm looking for these spots, like I said, I mean, I'm mainly trying to get away from the mainstream, but also though, I mean, man, there's a lot of little hidey holes I've hunted that are like close to roads and just overlooked little spots that people have overlooked that are right off a trailhead, but they're not off the main section. And it's like, people are so excited to get way back in that they miss. And I mean, those are spots, you know, it's, it's almost kind of like a puzzle piece putting it together on your game plan. Cause I mean, you know, there are some spots that, you know, it's like in the back of your head as you're walking in, you're like, man, I better peek over and check out this little bowl just to see what's in there. You know, I mean, the, the goal might be to get five, six miles back, but you're like, man, I better jump up on that Ridge and peek over there and see what's going on. But, uh, so yeah, that's kind of what I'm looking for, you know, as far as spots, in particular you know um those distinct features um you know and i mean there's for every animal i mean it's going to be a little different i mean antelope's going to be you're going to be looking at different stuff elk you're going to be looking at different stuff muleys you're looking at different stuff different seasons you know the muleys start to move down when i go to utah and hunt in october i'll be hunting secondary living and they're going to be pushed down because the feed's going to be burned off off the top and then that's a whole different set of kind of stuff that i'm looking for but you know um it just kind of all gets put together based off of kind of what you're hunting and what what the season is but uh feed is definitely that the main i guess key feature on this early hunt um you find the feed the neon green feed you're gonna find you're gonna find muleys and that's kind of what i'm keying in on is those little hidden features that have uh nice neon green feed in them
1: yeah and and one one good point you made there as far as like you know those those hidden little you know drainages or whatever that could be even close to trailheads what what i've found with that with elk specifically and actually deer too and even though i wasn't hunting deer that i've you know seen them in these spots is when you're away from a, a trail you know if there's a trail that goes eight miles in the backcountry it's easier for people to walk than four miles off trail and oh yeah. when, you know what i mean like so when you can kind of go to those type of spots you can definitely find some really cool you know honey holes and and things like that so I, i i couldn't agree more with with that and you know in some of those spots that are close to the roads maybe you're getting out there and you're trying to get acclimated and you don't want to go full bore right off the bat which even though i know you do you know for some people that that you know might need to acclimate for a day or two you can hit some of those easier spots and that that you know aren't easy from the standpoint of there's not a trail running right to this big basin, but it's not as far walking, things like that, that you might be able to, you know, get into some, some bucks and bowls.
0: Yeah, no, that's a good point. And I mean, that's one nice thing about driving out. Like I'm going to do, it's, it's like 26 hours on the dot from my driveway to the first trailhead I'm going to park at is as you're driving out there, you, you're sort of getting acclimated to it. I mean, you know, I'm here at like 800 feet and I'm going to end up at 13, 14 hunting. So it's quite a big jump, but the driving helps, but yeah, (laughs) like I, you know, that's, that's a good point that you made. Um, my first couple, my first two solo deals were in Colorado and, and they were, um, high, high country. Uh, it was, you know, fort, there was fourteeners, thirteeners 13ers all over the place. Um, as far as peaks and I got pretty lucky. Um, I never knock on wood got, you know, got altitude sickness, but I've learned to the first day, take it easy. And what you said is exactly spot on. Like this year, I've got a couple spaces that I want to spend a night or two in and a couple mornings that are going to be around, you know, that, maybe 10, 11, maybe pushing 12, but not clear up in the crazy 13, 14, right off the rip, you know? Um, and you know, people will say, ah, you know, it's only 2000 feet difference, but yeah, but 2000 feet difference is a lot. I mean, if you get altitude sickness at 14 and you drop down to 12 or 11, I mean, that's a huge deal. So you know, I am going to try to um, work my way into that because there is some really steep, rugged stuff up in that unit that I'm in. Um, so, you know, I'm definitely going to kind of be conscious of that. And that's a good point that you brought up because that is something that guys, you know, and I'm 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 at fault for this. Um, guys get in good shape, and and they kind of have that macho, I can do it mentality, and, and, oh, you know, I'm badass, I'm just going to go for it. And and I get that, but you're never going to beat Mother Nature. And if your body decides it just can't take it and you get altitude sickness on day one, I mean, dude, you might not be leaving your camp till day two, three, four. I mean, I know guys that have been sick three days. I mean, for some guys, that's over half of their hunt. So, I mean, it's just something to, it's just a good little thing that you brought up to like, you know, be conscious of, um, you know, I'd rather spend a day getting acclimated and kind of peeking around some spots that maybe aren't the most ideal, um, or they're not your favorite spots, but at least it's getting you acclimated and, and you're, you're giving your body a chance to kind of catch up to what's going on versus just full bore head for it you know, 13, 14 miles the first day, get up in there to 14,000 feet and then totally just bomb your body out. Cause man, you're in trouble. I mean, your body is your, your, is your machine up there. And if it breaks down, I mean, you're, uh, you are definitely, uh, for lack of a better phrase up shit crick without a paddle.
1: Yeah. I mean, last year when I went out to Colorado, I said I was going to take it easy at first and ended up hiking 12 miles the first day. And I got pretty sick. Like it wasn't, I was not in any danger, but like, you know, my body was wore out. I was struggling, breathing, just felt kind of sick to my stomach, lightheaded. And, you know, my motor skills and my thinking just wasn't there. Kind of like, you know, if I was, you know, say I was, Seven, eight bush lattes in, and you know, they kind of get that kind of thinking. And I, I this year, the plan is you know, I have a 30-some-hour drive, and there's three of us, we're driving straight through. We'll get there at night. And the first morning, honestly, we're probably going to glass. There's some spots we can glass from the road and, you know, drive up and down a little bit, trying to see where some of the people are. You know, hike in the afternoon, maybe do a little bit of a easier spot for the first night of glassing, you know, up in there a little bit, but not, you know, anything crazy to get, you know, acclimated. Then by day two, you know, you're feeling, you know, a lot better and you can start hard charging a little bit more, you know, and and everybody's different. But um, that's that's kind of the, you know, the strategy I've taken, you know, with that, you know, in mind.
0: Yeah, no, actually, that's a good strategy for sure. I mean, you you you're better off to take it easy for a day than to be totally, you know, bombed out and in your tent for the next two or three. I mean, that uh, it's going to be pretty hard. Um, and I know you're in, you're the ultimate elk calling champion over there in Pennsylvania, so you probably could potentially bugle one right into your tent. But I'm just saying, it might be hard. Um, for the film guy, and for you know, just for everybody to kind of be in the tent with you and get that all on film and get it killed. I'm just saying. I mean, I have no doubt with your your calling techniques um, that you definitely will be able to call one right into the tent. But I'm just saying it might make it difficult for everybody else. So yeah, yeah you probably don't want to be tent you know tented up for three days with altitude sickness.
1: Yeah, you're, you're exactly right. That won't make real good film, you know, shooting one with the tent and the, you know, in the side of the camera and everything like that. We don't, right, that's not going right. to be ideal. So, you know, Clint, when you're no. getting, when you're getting up into one of these glassing points and you're sitting down and, you know, you're either putting your spot and scope or binos on a tripod, um, you can kind of get into your preferred method there. But what are you doing? Like, are you glassing all day, are you looking more mornings and evenings and moving? Like, what's what's that kind of look like?
0: Yeah, so I definitely want to get up to up to a, a preferred point of interest before it's daylight. Uh, that's super key. I mean, I know it takes a little extra effort. I know you got to walk in the dark. I know, you know, yada, yada. But man, I mean, you, you definitely want to be there when the lights are coming on and you want to be set up. Um, I currently... Um, my setup, um, so, you know, you know, tripod, fluid head, um, I'm running all, you know, all Maven stuff. Got hooked up with them this year. Uh, couldn't be more thrilled. I got 11 by 45s for binos, and I got the new S2 spotter. And I know you're running a, a very similar setup. I know you've got the same spotter. Um, I prefer to run the binos um, on the tripod right off the rip. Uh, I can cover a lot of country, um, field of views obviously is, is better. Um, just, you know, wider for me, I feel like I can, you know, in the mornings, I'm basically just trying to find those first groups of deer, trying to see what's going on, you know, covering a ton of country. And then once I get into some, some deer, I start picking stuff apart, looking for those, you know, looking for those bucks, or maybe I find a bachelor group, you know, I'm, I'm, then I'm going to pull the scope out and I'm really going to start looking, um, and seeing, you know, kind of what's there, how big, you know, I would say most of the time I'm going to have binos on there for me personally, I'm going to run those binos on the tripod, um, until I either a key in on a buck that I want to get a better look at, or I want to really, really check out what's around him and really pick apart. Maybe I'm looking for other deer bedded. You know, maybe I'm trying to plan out of stock and it's midday and I really need to pick apart the shadows to make sure there's not another deer or elk or something bedded close by, um, you know, stuff like that. Then the spotters kind of is, is really nice for that. But in the morning, I mean, you're definitely trying to catch them coming back from feed to bed and working their way back in. Um, in the ideal world for me with muleys, you know, you want to watch them bed down. Um, from that point, you'll want to basically babysit them. I mean, you're basically going to keep the glass on them. You want to figure out where every buck is, where every deer is. And I typically will not go stock, um, anything in the morning. Um, your thermals are not rising yet. Um, typically, those deer, when they do bed, they're going to get up again midday and stretch, maybe move 20 yards, feed a little bit, go back down. I like to watch them and stick with them and pretty much watch their every move until that midday period. Uh, midday, I feel like that's when they are going to be a little more lenient. You probably can get away with a little bit more. You're going to have the temperatures rising, so you've got your thermals coming up the mountain. Um, I usually like to always try to drop down in, whether it's an antelope, an elk, a muley. I I like coming in from above and dropping in on them. Um, So that rising thermals and rising temps usually always is going to be, you know, more helpful for me, obviously, in the midday um, when the temperature is coming up and the thermals are going up versus the morning when you still got that downfall. Uh, You know, you're just you don't have as much of, of that you know, um, upward drift on thermals. And I mean, out in the mountains, you know, you can have the wind doing one thing, but your thermals are doing another. So, I mean, it's, it's really, you know, there's been times where I've had bucks in great spots and then I get over to them and I start my stock and literally I realize that the thermals are absolutely ass backwards wrong. And there's nothing you can do. I mean, it's, you know, some of those bowls and some of those little, um, drainages, the way the wind swirls, I mean, there's just nothing you can do, but so, you know, that's, that would be my strategy. If I find a buck right off the rip, you know, I'm going to watch him. Um, he would have to be in the most absolute perfect spot for me to go right in after, um, in the morning, I mean, it would have to be a spot that I could, I could get to quick and I could drop right over a, a rock outcropping and he's straight down from it or something to where it's like a once in a million type of spot that you absolutely just have to take your chance. But typically, that's not going to be where I'm going to put my money. Now, if I don't find something, uh, let's say I glass all morning, just not finding a buck to go after. Maybe I'm just not getting into deer. Typically, I'm going to move for midday. I'm going to go to another, you know, and, and and this could be a mile, maybe it's two miles, maybe it's 200 yards. I'm going to go to another vantage and get a better look at what I was looking at from a different angle. If I feel like there's deer in there that I've missed, I'm going to just get a different angle. If I feel like I covered all the deer in it and just didn't find anything big enough to go in after, at that point, I'm going to say, okay, I'm going to go look at a different drainage and I'm going to go somewhere different set up for midday and I'm probably going to be there till dark. So I'm basically going to go to another spot um, and I'm going to plant myself and I'm going to start glassing from that point on Uh, midday. Good time to have the spotter out shadows. um, Man, some of those avalanche shoots right off the edge tucked in against the rocks. I mean, I, I try to in the midday, you're trying to catch a buck either standing up, to feed or stretch or get out of his bed and, and, and go, you know, on a, on a, on a ship break or a piss break. So the spotter is nice at that point to just, you know, maybe it's an ear flick. Maybe it's just, you catch a glimpse of velvet through the trees. I mean, all those little spots that look like a buck could be bedded in the midday. I try to look at all that stuff. And, And honestly, midday's rough. I mean, midday with elk and muleys can be super, super boring because a lot of times you know, the action slows down, stuff's bedded. So I really try to play like a little game with myself as far as trying to pick apart those hidey hole spots. And, it, and by running that spotter, it really makes me focus in. And it honestly kind of makes the day go by quicker um, to have a plan of attack. Like, okay, I'm going to pull the spotter out and I'm going to check every one of these little shadowed spots along this rock outcropping. I'm going to, check every one of these little patches of timber that's got shadow in them right now where it's nice and cool and a buck could be bedded. I mean, that kind of keeps you from wanting to go back to camp and take a nap. And I, I just can't stress that enough. Like don't spend half your hunt walking back to camp, take a nap and then you walk back. I mean, you've, you've just, you've missed so much by doing that. And I mean, I know sometimes it is nice to go back and have a little, you know, a little siesta back at camp or whatever, but, man, oh man, like, you know, set your alarm, take a 20 minute break and and get off the glass and take a little nap or a little snooze while you're up on the mountain. But gosh, man, just, I I just, you know, going back to camp, I mean, it's just such a double-edged sword because most of the time you go back and you just don't want to leave for a few hours. And then by the time you get back, it's like you've wasted four or five hours of time that you could have been glassing new spots or checking other spots out. I mean, midday is a great time for that. And hopefully you find something that you're looking for come evening. And then in the evening, I mean, you know, there, man, there's times where it, it, it's great times to get ahead of a buck that's feeding out and you can get ahead of them um, and try to intercept them as they're, as they're getting out of their beds and taking off. I mean, you know, there's a lot of plays that can be made in the evening time. Or sometimes what I do is I just watch. And I try to figure out, okay, here's where he's going. This is what he's doing. Tomorrow morning, he should be heading back into this spot. I'm going to go over here a little bit closer and grab that vantage. I mean, a lot of times in the evenings, I'll start making plans for in the morning what I'm going to do. Maybe I don't spot a buck till right before dark, and there's just no way I'm going to get to him in time. At that point, I'm going to cross out putting a stock on, and I'm just going to start taking like little notes like in my head, just mentally putting together a plan for tomorrow morning, where I should be, what I need to do to maybe get back on this buck. So, you know, not every glassing session are you going to use it as potentially you're trying to find a stock. I mean, sometimes you literally need a couple days of glassing just to figure out what these bucks or bulls are doing. Um, But like I said, you can't, it's pretty hard to glass from inside the tent. So I can't stress that enough, you know, stick out there, you know, bring, have some snacks with you. If you need to take a little nap midday, do it up on the mountain. Um, but yeah, I mean, the, the, going back to camp for three, four hours, I know it's so appealing, but you know, gosh, just <laughs> don't get in a routine of doing that.
1: Yeah, no, I'd, I, I get what you're saying. Like you said, you can take a little nap, you know, up on the mountain. Maybe it's not as comfortable as your sleeping pad, but I'm promising you yeah, if you're tired enough, you'll sleep wherever. <laughs> At least I can.
0: Oh, absolutely. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, for sure. No doubt. Take a little 20, 30 minute And, you know, it's nice to give your eyes a break. I mean, you know, there's days where I'm behind the glass five, six, seven. I mean, it's, it's, it's rough. I mean, even with, even with, I mean, I absolutely love the clarity and, and love the, you know, the crisp, sharp imagery and, and the, the clearness of those, um, the Maven optics that, that we're running. But, even still, your neck, your back i mean it, it's nice to just take a break from time to time and get off the glass, lay down. you know, I always carry it's a um it's a little pad, but uh, climate makes it I think it weighs like an ounce. you blow it up and it's basically just like a little glass and pad, and I mean that thing is is awesome, I mean, worth its weight in gold, which it doesn't weigh very much, but folds up to like fit in the palm of your hand but i mean i I always have that thing with me because. Being comfortable um, will allow you to glass better. It'll allow you to glass longer, and, it, and it'll make it enjoyable. I mean, I personally, I love getting behind the glass. That's one thing about muleys that I've really fallen in love with, is that's part of that chess game is finding them and picking them out. And then once you do pick them out, now you're trying to figure out a route to maybe make a stock or whatever. And, and that all takes place through the glass. So, I mean, I love the glass. But there's times, man, where you just got to get your eyes off of it and back up. And just take a little break and just let your eyes refocus and just kind of give your mind and your eyes a break from gritting timber and gritting basins and constantly just up and down and across, you know, the shadows. And I mean, after a while, you just got to give yourself a little bit of kind of a time out from it. And I, I think that's good. I mean, I think that's good for your mental state. And I think it's good for your body to kind of lay back and relax for a little bit.
1: Yeah, I mean, if you think about it, and you break it up into small portions, say your glass, and for you're probably going to glass longer, you know, first thing in the morning, say in say even an hour to two, and then take it, you know, a ten minute break, and then your that gives you a little bit of a you know re uh, some energy again to get back into it, and just take more of those shorter ones rather than a full midday go back to camp style. Yeah, you know, and then yeah, what you and said I mean, about. You know, what you said about those uh, those the climate pads, you know, and for someone that wants to you know double up, you know, I've used one of those climate pillows forever, and and it's basically the same thing, and it might even be what you're talking about, yes. and like you can use that as your pillow at night and also use it as a glassing pad, and that's that's something yep, that absolutely. I didn't really think of until you said that, and I'm like, wow, I could be doubling up using that for two different you know occasions there. That's that's really good.
0: Yep. And I'll tell you something else that you can do. And a lot of people, um, do this. I know I, I kind of watched Brian do it. Brian Barney. I hunt with, with, uh, Brian a lot. And I watched him do this one time when we were glassing for antelope over in Montana. Um, he's always got his puffy, his, his sick, uh, um, Kelvin light hooded, uh, puffy with him. And he pulled it out and, and, and I'm like, in my head, I'm thinking, I'm like, man, it's not, really that cold you know like and we're not in the wind like what what's what's he doing and he folded it up and sat down on it and i'm like well shit why didn't i think of that like what the hell yeah i'm like yeah i'm like that's a great idea like you know i mean i mean that's just that's that's another you know i mean you can lay that thing out man and and kind of fold it in half and i mean then put your if you got like your climate pillow or pad put that on top and i mean oh dude like i mean it's it's freaking great. I mean, that's about as comfy as it's going to get, you <laughs> yeah. know, glass up there. So yeah, I mean, but uh, yeah, no, I mean, glass is huge and I get a lot of questions on, um, you know, uh, what optics should I get? What should, you know, man, I can't afford, you know, everyone's got a different budget. Everyone's got a different viewpoint on optics. Um, you know, what I would say is uh, try to buy the Best that you can afford, I mean, don't go out and take a ten thousand dollar loan for binoculars in the spotting scope by any means I'm not you know I, I'm not I don't want people to go go bankrupt over that, but you're going to be behind glass a lot, and I mean you know as well as I know good glass will save you lots of miles and lots of calories and keep you from burning your eyes out of your head so you know. If you can afford, you know, the, the the more upper end glass, hey, by all means, buy it. Not saying you got to go out and buy the most expensive spotter or binos out there. But if you can afford, you know, kind of that upper end, man, do it. Because, I mean, it is a huge huge piece to the puzzle if you want to get into western hunting it's not like back here in ohio and pennsylvania where if you got a pair of binoculars that can see pretty solid out to two three hundred yards basically that's going to damn near cover your needs for the entire year of turkey and deer hunting i mean yeah and you that would run an eight power
1: and i was just gonna say in that when it comes to the binos back here that's more low light capabilities than anything
0: Yep. Yeah. I mean, you could run an eight power an eight by 40 the entire year here. And literally you'd probably be almost overkill with that. I mean, you, you really wouldn't need anything bigger than that. Um, a 10 or a 12 or an 11 would be total overkill here because y- rarely are you ever going to have to look past a couple hundred yards. I mean, most of the time it's going to be close quarters, you know, a hundred, 200 max. So, I mean, you know, with the rolling hills and rolling fields and timber around here. I mean, hardly ever am I having to actually really use the capabilities of say those 11 by 45 mavens that I've got. I mean, it's total overkill. It's awesome to have them, but by no means is that size needed here, but you go out West, um, and get into Montana, Colorado, Wyoming, Idaho, et cetera, where, where you're looking, you know, mile or more away. Oh yeah. I mean, at that point, that's, (laughs) <laughs> you definitely want to get, you know, what you can afford. Um, when I can't stress that enough, good glass is, uh, is invaluable when it comes to, uh, setting yourself up for success out there. And I know you feel the same cause we both pretty much run the, the similar setup for Maven and whatnot. And I know you're just as pleased with that as, as I am. So, uh, you know, I, I know you're right there with me.
1: Yeah. I mean, yeah, the only difference is you're running the 11 by 45s. I'm running the nine by 45. So basically the same, yep. same thing. And that's what's nice about those B twos that we're running is the wide field of view. And I mean, you know, that's, that's super nice. And I mean, you know, you can run, you know, you know, for, I guess for a lot more open country, you can run 15s and some of those bigger ones, but, I, and i I'm, I'm going to speak from limited experience here. So bear with me everyone. But I like a little bit of a lower power and like the nine or 11s or 10s, something in that range, because you get that wider field of view and then I can carry a lightweight spotter like that S2 spot and scope weighs the same as those B2s, you know, do. And then I can really get in detail if I'm looking for size or anything else. But for the most part, you know, if I'm trying to tell there's a bull out there, there's a, a buck, you know, something like that, you're going to be able to tell that and cover more country with your eyes than if you're in a smaller field of view because it's, you know, basically magnified more.
0: Yep, absolutely.
1: Yeah, so, Clint, yeah. all right. Uh, I, go ahead.
0: No, no, I was just agreeing with you, Bo. That's, no, that's a good point, and I mean, I kind of feel the same, um, you know, for... Uh, for versatility for bang for your buck, it's hard to beat that nine, 10, 11, even, even maybe a 12 power, um, in that range right there, because it's still fairly compact, not a ton of weight, not super big, still fit in a bino harness comfortably. Um, so no, I, I was just agreeing with you. I, I think that's, you know, I kind of have the same feelings, um, as far as that setup, um, that you were just talking about.
1: Yeah. And, and so you did cover a little bit earlier about, you know, the, the actual stock when you're going in, as far as when the thermals are more consistent, you know, that midday type, you know, set up, not as much in the mornings where you're still getting somewhere, you know, maybe the, the open country, the, the sunny hillsides, you know, thermals have switch, but you get into some of those shadow areas, the darker timber pockets where it's coming down and, you know, right on the edge, it might be swirling you know you're waiting to that midday type stuff but okay so dive into that a little bit more with your actual stock and are you this is kind of a loaded question but are you ever like and i guess this is probably more with elk but are you ever like trying like an ambush style where you see them you know a, you know a day or two you see them coming out of this spot going to this area you ever trying to move in closer for that or are you waiting to for them to bed to go in
0: yeah i mean it's kind of situational and sometimes you've got to sort of take a gut a gut feeling guess and kind of go with with what you've seen maybe prior or what you think that they're going to do um but as far as the stocks go i mean the, the classic stock for me would be you know you you find a buck in the morning you're watching bed. Um, Ten thirty, eleven o'clock. He gets up. He beds down again. Now he's probably gonna, you know, stretch, take a piss, maybe take a shit, um, grab something to eat, and then bed back down. And then he's probably gonna be held over now until that mid afternoon or into evening time. So at that moment, um, that you know, from the time he bedded in the morning till now, I I would have been sitting there for those couple hours already making kind of a plan of attack and what I like to do and I've learned this off of uh, Brian and and, and our good buddy Dan Hebron um, I like to take, I'll pull my my cell phone out and I will take pictures um, of the scenery of what I'm looking at and I will mark where the buck's bedded. Um, I think it's really important to take this step because a lot of times you map out a stock. Okay. This buck's over here. I'm going to swing out around, go up over the ridge line, um, get down on the other side, 20, 30 yards where I can't be spotted and skylined. I'm going to wrap this rim around. I'm going to get over here to that saddle, come up over that saddle and drop down in and he should be right below me. That sounds all fine and dandy until you literally get there and every fricking tree, every rock, everything looks the same. So Right off the rip, I mean, I want to try to have marked as many land points and as many landmarks um, as I possibly can using my phone to reference back to. So I'm going to use that as like a tool basically to keep me in line. Now, what I like to do and what helps me um, formulate a plan for uh, a good stock is, number one, um I like to kind of break it down into like four or five like little little waypoints. So like for example, say I'm going to wrap up around, I'm going to go up over a saddle and get on the other side of a ridge. Um you know, the first step is I want to get up over that saddle. So the, so the entire time I'm doing this, I'm hustling to get up over top of that saddle. Once I get over top of there, then my next plan of attack is to run the backside of that ridge down to where I'm not going to get skylined and I'm going to wrap it clear around to the end. So basically, like, I'm giving myself little missions to where I'm only focused on the task at hand because I think a lot of times for me and for a lot of guys that I've, I've talked to, guys get so pumped that a buck or a bull's in a good spot that they want to, like, rush and hurry up and just freaking get there to get it going. But it's like the minute you leave, your stock actually starts. So it's like, if you screw up, in the first two or 300 yards and you alert a bunch of animals, or let's say you're, you're being careless and you get skylined or, I mean, you know, there's a million things that can happen right off the rip that can totally blow a stock. And now you're going to spend all this time and energy and get over there and literally everything's gone. So it's like, you know, I try to make four or five little missions out of every one of these stocks to where it keeps me mentally focused on the task at hand. Okay. I need to go from point A to point B When I get to point B, I then have to refocus and get to point C, then from C to D. And then once I get to E, that's actually where the buck's at or the bull's at. And that really helps me stay focused on one task to where I'm not getting ahead of myself. And as I'm walking over trying to make this stock, I'm already thinking about how I'm going to kill him in the shot and blah, blah, blah. Like, I'm not there yet. It's not time to be thinking about that. I've got to focus on getting there. Um, in a timely manner, but at the same time, not being careless, constantly checking the wind. So that's kind of what I do is I break my stock into four or five different points. And each one of those points is getting me closer to actually the red zone where I'm going to be like, say, sneaking into range or getting into range. Now, once I get into range, um, and I'm going to steal this phrase off of, uh, off of old Brian Barney himself because it makes total sense. And, and I've done this with antelope. I've done it with white tails. I've done it with turkeys. Um, I, this has gotten me in very, very close to mule deer that I, I wish I had on my wall right now. Um, but once I get in tight to maybe within that 70, 80 yard mark, that's it for me. I'm going to let the animal make the final move. Um, I, I, I do not like to force anything. Um, you know, if, I've got to, if I get into 60 and he's betted, I'm comfortable with making that shot. I'll sit there and wait on him to stand. When he stands, I'm going to come back to full draw when he's facing downhill, not looking, and I'm going to kill him. Um, you know, I mean, I, I, just, I feel like once you get into the red zone, it's easier to make less moves on your end and let them kind of dictate what's going to happen. Um, By all means, if you can get into 30 yards, hell, go for it. I mean, for sure. But I try to get to where I'm comfortable and I know, okay, from here on in, I can make this shot. And at that point in time, I I don't want to do anything that's going to jeopardize where I'm at right now. You know what I mean? I'm not going to – I know some guys throw rocks. Some guys do stuff like that to get bucks to stand. I I just – I've tried a bunch of this stuff on like antelope um, man. I've, i antelope is, is a great way to fricking test your spot and stock skills. Um, and you know, there's certain stuff you can get away with and certain stuff you can't, but for me, I like to get in and I, and I like to, I like to let the buck or the bull or, or whatever, make the last move, you know, let him make the final move that gets him killed. Maybe it's, he stands up, takes a couple steps. He's in the open and you're already back at full draw waiting on him. You know, I mean, or, you know, Maybe you sneak in and he's facing the wrong way, but he stands up to stretch and now he is broadside and, you know, there you go. But I just, I don't like to get super aggressive um, unless it's a situation that you absolutely have to. It's in my opinion, it's better to let them make the final move. Um, You know, but that's kind of my philosophy on stocks though, is I feel like you just need to break them down and it really makes you focus on each little task and it really makes you more, I guess in tune to what you're doing cuz you know usually nothing's fast about a stock. I mean, usually, you know, you could I mean, I I've went on some that have taken hours. I mean, to actually get within the final 100 yards, 80 yards, I mean, you, you know, I was creeping, you know, that the from 150 and in, I mean, it was literally a foot, 2 foot every couple minutes because there was other deer bedded or Um, I lost sight of one of the smaller bucks and I wasn't exactly sure where he was. So I was having to use my binos to scan constantly. I mean, every situation is a little bit different, but you know, you just, you really want to slow down and, and, you know, less is more once you start in getting close, because it only takes one false move to blow the whole thing up. And then you just put in all that time and energy for nothing. And I feel like that's where a lot of guys get carried away is, um, They get so pumped and so excited because it is is exciting to go on a stalk, but you got to remember, you know, you are trying to sneak into the bedroom or into the kitchen or whatever of this animal. I mean, he knows what everything looks like, sounds like, smells like in there. Um, You know, you you just got to keep that in mind that you're going to have to like ninja creep in there um, and not be detected. Um, as far as, uh, now you said, you asked about like the ambush style. Um, and I know with elk, that's a really, really good tactic. Um, and muley's is kind of the same way. Uh, I've done this with the antelope too. You know, I've watched them, um, work their way into like a water hole or down into somewhere to take a drink and then seen that they were going to come back up this drainage. And I've looped out around and kind of got, got ahead of them and waited for them two years in Colorado, I did this with a buck, um, and had him at 37 yards feeding away from me. And literally he was feeding dead away from me to the point where he got behind a a little band of rocks. And when I actually got up to those rocks, um, I didn't realize there was another small buck with him and I blew the small buck out. And then obviously he took off, but I mean, that deer was dead to rights. And I literally watched him walk along the, the, the edge of that little rock rim early in the morning and bed down. And I just had a feeling he would run the opposite direction of that in the evening and go right back to where he was feeding and sure as hell, man, that's exactly what he did. I mean, it was just one of those unlucky situations that he fed away from me at 37 yards the entire time and then got behind rocks. And I lost track of the small buck and I basically forgot he, the small buck was even there and didn't get to killing. But that right there was a perfect ambush scenario. Um, based off what I saw in the morning, I basically just waited on him in the afternoon and in the evening. I mean, he fed right into my lap. I mean, you can't ask for anything better than 37 yards. It just, all I had was the old Texas heart shot. And, um, I just really, (laughs) really didn't want to, just really didn't want to take that on 185, 190 inch muley buck. So
1: (laughs) yeah, I, I don't blame you there. Um, there's a couple of things I want to kind of pick apart that you were talking about. And so when you're finding these points to go on the stock and you're, you know, picking out four or five locations, are you marking them like on your Onyx, you know, your app so that oh, you yeah. can go to those yep. points. Yep. Okay.
0: Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm either I'm going to mark them on Onyx or on the picture that I took before I ever even leave. I'm going to kind of mark kind of the path that I'm planning on taking um, just so that way in my head, it kind of gives me a picture of what I was looking at before I ever leave. Um, you know, like I said, you, you can kind of refer back to that then to, I mean, and by no means is this going to keep you a hundred percent on track, but, but it's going to get you in the general areas that you're wanting to get to, to close the distance and finally get to your final destination point where, where you're now within, you know, the red zone of a buck or bull or whatever you're after. So yeah, no, hundred, a hundred percent, uh, definitely marking kind of my, my, my route or my, uh, bread, I guess it'd be like a bread trail or a breadcrumb trail that I'm going to be using to get in on this stock. Um, definitely marking that stuff out just for reference purposes.
1: Okay. Uh, that's, that's kind of what I figured. But, um, and then the next step is like, say you're getting, you're moving in and you're getting in that red zone, that you know, 120 yards and so are in, are you doing anything like taking off your boots and going in your socks? Are you staying in your boots? What did you do anything different there?
0: So for me, it's all kind of situational. I mean, there's been times where I've, I've taken the boots off. Um, I here the last two years have ran, um, I've been running the uh, crispy Thors, which are basically almost like a tennis shoe, Um, with Gore-Tex and super light. Um, I can feel the ground really good. Um, so for me, man, you know, it's, I mean, there's, there's times where I feel like I'm going to be in stuff that it it will be quieter to lose the boots. Um, usually when I hit the red zone, I'm going to drop my pack. Um, you should mark where that's going to be at or potentially even take a picture, take a picture of where that's going to be at. Um, I have left my pack and spent two hours searching for it. Um, definitely want to be aware of where you're dropping your stuff. Um, I typically like to drop everything in one spot. I don't want to take my boots off and then go a hundred yards and drop my pack, et cetera. So, but yeah, I mean, there are times where you have to be as quiet as possible and it is going to be quieter to run, um, the boots off, but those boots, honestly, um, I don't think I took them off once last year. I mean, I, I really, really, really can be super quiet with those on. Um, and sometimes you're in rocks. Sometimes you're just in junk that you just, you, you can't take your boots off because you'd literally just, I mean, take the risk of slicing your feet in half. So, I mean, it's kind of situational, but I mean, I'm definitely going to drop my pack and I'm going to drop anything that I don't absolutely need, um, just for the simple fact of, I don't want branches or anything to catch my, my pack and, and, and brush against it. Um, you know, I don't want, you know, any more movement. I want to be basically as light and as, you know, flexible as I can be with, you know, with just my bow in my hand. If I've got to go underneath the limbs or I need to, I might need to belly crawl at some point. Way easier to do that without having your pack on uh, and and stuff uh, on your back like that. So, yeah, I definitely am going to try to basically be as minimalist as possible once I get into, like, kind of that red zone area where I know at any point in time it could be happening. Um, definitely uh, am going to drop any extra gear, any extra item I don't need, including my bag for sure. I th- I think
1: one one thing that you brought up... So far in this episode about taking the pictures, I think that's such a takeaway and that people should write that down or take a mental note or something, because that is so big and, and dropping the pack is funny because I had that with a bull that bugled and like, I went into straight panic mode and I just like, I basically took everything off. Like I can't believe I didn't take my pants off, but I just dropped it. And (laughs) I'm like, I'm like, I know where this is at, you know? And I went up and I only went like a hundred yards and every tree looked the same. And I, I, my brother and I looked forever trying to find it. And I dropped my bugle tube like halfway through. Don't ask me why I dropped that. That was like a panic type thing. And I could have really used that. <laughs> but, anyways, like that's, that is a really good point. Mark it on Onyx and then take a picture of it because, you know, GPS coordinates will only get you so close. And then, you know, and, packs blend in and and everything else, you know. It's it's it, if it can happen, it probably will happen. So try to eliminate any of those variables.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. Um and yeah, you know, I can't believe you dropped your 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 bugle tube. I mean, what what were you going to beat, bro? What were you going to beat the brush with? I mean, because, I mean, isn't that, I mean, maybe I'm wrong, I mean, but isn't that kind of what you do is you, you, you beat, you know, beat the brush and then put the paddle up over your head or maybe I'm thinking of moose hunting. That's probably what I'm thinking
1: of. (laughs) Well, actually what I, what I normally (laughs) do is with the smaller bulls, I slap them in the ass with it and then they take off to get out of the way so so I can shoot the big bulls. So...
0: Yeah, wondered, I wondered what you did. I, I wondered what the purpose of the actual bugle tube was because, I mean, I can't imagine that you actually bugle with that thing. I mean, any real elk hunter bugles without a call. So that's why I was confused on what, you know, I, I didn't, you know, like right now Wayne Carlton would be totally frowning upon your tactics if you're trying to say that you're actually bugling with a call. I mean, that's that's kind yeah. of a specified way on elk. I mean, I mean obviously. But, you know. I mean, but, like I said, everyone's got different tactics I mean, you know I've killed my fifteen bulls doing this, you've killed your thirteen bulls doing that, so I mean it's just it's all it's all great, whatever tactic you wanna use
1: <laughs> and i mean they're they're basically a <laughs> wiffle ball bat with the ends cut off right, so th- they're meant for swinging and you know hitting things, and you know that's just. That is yeah, what it is.
0: It's more of a it's it's more of a weapon in case a bear or a cougar comes in. I mean, realistically, that's that's basically what you're carrying is just a, a club.
1: I mean, Clint, I heard that that you usually don't try to fend off the cougars; you invite them in.
0: <laughs> well, I mean, uh, I'm, not, I'm not I'm not gonna I'm not gonna say that that I'm gonna run from them by any means. I mean, you know. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> oh i knew it was gonna go south at some point
0: well it's okay we can always get get back on track but no that's pretty funny about your story because uh I, i've done the same thing man i've dropped my pack and i'm like oh you know i'll lay it to where the black is showing up on my kafaru pack or or like you know the the padded the, the padded um, pads that are like green or black on a Sika pack you know i'll stick that up so it stands out Oh, it'll stand out for sure. And literally dude, it blends right in. Like, I mean, like <laughs> my Kafaru pack's got all black pads and I'm like, Oh, there's no way I can miss this. And I mean, I searched forever to find that damn thing. And I'm like, how is black not standing out? But I mean, it just doesn't, I mean, it, it you know, it's definitely something that you want to stay, you know, kind of mindful of is where you drop your stuff. Um, but uh yeah, no, um the spot and stock man, I that's that's my jam. I uh I love that. Um man, if you if you wanna get into to spot and stock and you wanna have a fun hunt, um chase an antelope around spot and stock style. Like there is nothing better to test your skills that'll humble you and really basically tell you how much you suck at spot and stock hunting than to go chase antelope around. Um you and I definitely need to go do a hunt uh, for antelope together, uh, it, it would, uh, it would definitely be a, a ton of fun and yeah. it's a hunt that the last two years I've been fortunate to tag good goats out in Montana. Um, and this year I didn't even apply for that tag just cause I wasn't going to have time. And man, oh man, I, 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 don't think I'll ever go another year without applying for an antelope tag because it's killing me not having one. Um, just such a fun hunt. You get so many plays and so many stocks and that's the biggest thing. But I, I want to stress, you know, before we, we close this out, because I'm, I'm sure we're probably getting close to that, that time frame that, you know, that uh, we always tend to run over on with these podcasts and <laughs> you and I get the rambling. But it's uh, spot and stalk is a tactic that, in my opinion, you're never going to totally master, but you are going to gain confidence in yourself and your abilities as you continue to do it. And the best way to do it is, unfortunately, to fail and learn from your mistakes, you know, maybe you didn't play the wind right. Maybe you forgot to check the wind in the final 10 minutes of your stock. Maybe you stepped on a branch. Maybe you went too fast. You know, failing, um, will ultimately lead to success. Um, and that kind of holds true for anything, but especially this style. But I I truly feel like if you can really gain confidence in yourself, any animal on planet earth can be killed using spot and stock tactic. I mean, not every animal are you going to call in. Not every animal is going to be applicable to hunt out of a tree stand or blind or, you know, uh, some places you can bait, some places you can, etc. Spot and stalk is, is, a, is a, a tactic that literally, if you think about it, you can, that can be done anywhere. On any animal, you can do that. But it's all about gaining confidence in your ability. Um, and, and, and honestly, glassing is the same way. I mean, glassing is a great tactic to have in your pocket and it's something that you've got to be good at. Um, and you better enjoy because if you're going to hunt Western big game and you don't like the glass, man, oh man, you're, you're, you're kind of behind the eight ball to start with, but both those tactics, they just take time and there's no way to learn them other than just to do them. And once you gain some confidence in your abilities, and once you kind of, you know, start to have some success at, um, spotting and stalking and, and even like the glassing, um, it's kind of a snowball effect and it's a really fun way to hunt. Um, I absolutely love it. That's the, both of those, um, facets of, of, Western bow hunting is why I absolutely just can't get enough of, of adventure bow hunting out there is, is cause I, I just, I love glassing and I love that spot and stock game. And, uh, it's a big, it's a big checker match, man. And I mean, I just, Totally. Absolutely. I'm in love with that style of hunting. So, uh, you know, I can't stress that enough. Just go out and do it, man. And, um, you know, like I said, learn from your mistakes. You're going to fail. You're going to blow stocks. I mean, if I had a dollar for every antelope stock I've blown up and had to watch those suckers run away at 900 miles an hour and literally flip them the middle finger every single time, cause I'm so pissed. Like I would be able to pay for my next whole entire trip, gas tags, airfare, whatever, like literally, <laughs> I'm mean, But but that's what makes it fun. And I mean, that's why, you know, I have the confidence, no matter whether it's whitetails in Ohio, turkeys in Kansas or a big muley in Colorado. I mean, I know what I can and can't do and what I can and can't get away with. And I've been through the ringer, um, in glassing and spot and stock. And, and, you know, I just, I have confidence in my abilities. I've done it enough and I've learned enough from my mistakes to be like, hell yeah. That buck's in a spot If he's in a good spot. I'm going to go in there and freaking kill him. And, uh, that's what I'm going to do here in a couple of weeks, my man, I'm going to freaking sneak right in and, uh, drop down in for an aerial assault and stick one at about 47 yards. And you'll probably hear me from Pennsylvania. Yeah. I will be freaking out, dude, freaking out. I cannot wait to, uh, finally taste that, uh, that success. And I know you're, you're the same with, with the elk deal, man, I'm super pumped for you. I know it's going to happen this year. Um, It'll be, uh, it's going to be awesome to get the photos. I'll be patiently waiting to, uh, get those pictures, uh, sent across the old cell phone screen from you, uh, standing behind a big bull. I know this is, uh, this is going to be our year, my man. I'm pumped for it. Yeah. To see uh, what both of us turn up.
1: Dude. I mean, both of us, you know, we've had this goal and you and I, like I said, we talk all the time and you know, you're just so extremely passionate about mule deer hunting and you've you know, come so close and struggled with it and everything else and it's been the same with me and elk and i I truly think this is gonna be a really a banner year and i'm I'm pumped on it and I mean we might as well call it out now hundred percent success rate, you know
0: <laughs> i mean i I mean, I mean, I'm not I'm not gonna lie, I've already got my form picked out and it's shipping next week to my house. So I mean I basically already have I I already basically have my buck mounted. I mean Yeah I You mean, know, I could already tell you what 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 Mackenzie form I'm using and everything. I mean it's he's already mounted.
1: <laughs> there we go. That's 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 uh taking confidence to a whole nother level. I love it, buddy. Um uh,
0: uh, and, and, uh, You know, it's, it's funny uh, uh, because, you know, I have, I have people all the time that are like, you know, they're like, man, you know, don't you get, don't you get nervous? Like, you know, knowing that a magazine's wanting this and, and, and companies that send you gear, you know, they're expecting you to kill. And I'm always like, man, there's nobody that puts more pressure on me or expects more out of me than myself. I mean, I'm like that in every aspect of life. I know you're the same way. Like, Nobody is going to push me harder than me. And, I mean, I've just had my mind made up this year that it's just I'm not leaving Colorado without a buck. There's just, I mean, never once in my mind this entire year from start to finish have I thought, well, what if I don't punch that tag? I mean, it's just that's never even entered my mind. I mean, it's it's just one of them deals where, you know, nobody is going to put, like, pressure on me because I, you know, myself, I put, I put the pressure on, on, on me. I mean, I am my biggest critic. I'm, I'm like, look, man, you got to get it done. I mean, it's just, it's the bottom line, you know, there's, there's nobody driving me more than myself. And, um, you know, I think that's why, you know, it's, kind of, you're the product of the people you hang out with. And I know we've talked about this before, you know, it's fun to see you like that with elk. Um, you know, Brian, Brian's like that with everything he hunts. I mean, you know, uh, our good buddy, Dan, you know, I mean, there's just, there's so many guys that I've gotten to be really good friends with that. We all share that same burning passion and that same drive and nobody pushes us harder than ourselves. Like, yeah, there's times where I see you, you're out hiking or or, or you're jogging or you're biking or you're, you're doing something and you'll snap me. And it's like, it's motivating because you're out there grinding. And I'm like, Oh yeah, man, I can't wait to go get my grind in later. You know, Bo's getting it in now, man, I got to make sure I get my, you know, we all secretly push one another, but like at the end of the day, nobody's pushing us more than looking ourselves in the mirror. And I mean, I've looked at myself every single day since last year, striking out in Idaho. Um, on, on a muley tag. And I just have been like, you know what? That's it, man. Like next year, there is no striking out. Like I'm just, there's just no doubt in my mind. Um, you're going to kill a big bull. I'm going to get on a a freaking stud buck and you know, we've, we've worked hard and they're going to be earned tags notched. And I'm just, man, I'm just freaking pumped to get it going, dude. I'm, I'm, I'm jacked just thinking about it
1: yeah dude i i can't wait and and uh i don't remember clint do you have do you use an inreach yeah you do okay you'll have to you'll have to get me your number there so that i can uh so i can text you and you know get some updates and everything and same thing with you know i use the little inreach mini and uh we'll have to make sure that uh, we're able to stay in touch because i'm just as excited for you going on this hunt as i am for mine so it's it's gonna be it's gonna be a good year, man.
0: Yeah, I don't think I don't think the screen on that will probably show the entire rack of the giant muley I'm going to kill. Like, the screen's pretty small on that one, so you probably should get maybe like the bigger version because it would be a little bigger screen, I believe. Because I, I just don't think my buck will probably actually fit. Like, I mean, you'll be able to see like me and maybe like the head part of the body, but I don't think the rack will actually fit in that. Yeah, um, <laughs> I'm just. You know, I'll, I'll probably have to break the picture into three separate parts, like the rack, then the body, and then, like, a picture of me. Like a panoramic view. Bow, with... yeah. Yes, yes, something like that. Yeah, yeah. Because, I mean, just a regular, like, shot isn't going to actually probably fit. Because, I mean, that, that, my buck's going to be just too big, too wide, too tall. So, but, yeah, we'll get something figured out.
1: Oh man, Clint I got, I just just got done throwing on the the old rubber boots cuz the shit's getting deep right now. I could tell you that.
0: <laughs> well, hey, confidence is that confidence is key and I mean, your your 8 by 9 bull that you're going to kill is going to be huge as well. So I mean, I'll have the similar problem cuz I've got the mini as well.
1: Well, I've got 3 years of tags that are in my dresser drawer that all those you know mediocre bulls i would have killed are going to add up to one giant one this year that's just i mean that's the only thing that's going to happen so well clint i do want to know it's
0: going to happen
1: so uh, clint i want to know where can people find some more information on you and you know some of your writing other places that you know you're you're popping up all over the place
0: yeah, so um, like I said earlier, uh, I write full time pretty much every issue for Peterson's Bow Hunting. Um, Christian and the gang over there um, do some freelance stuff for uh, Deer and Deer Hunting from time to time, Bow Hunter, Easton's Bow Hunting Journal, and then a, a bunch of online stuff. Working um, Class Bow Hunter, I do the blog over there, Chemical Collar blog with Kurt and all the, all the homies. Uh, shout out to those guys. Um, man, you, you guys got to get hooked up. You got to get jumped on there and they got to get jumped on yours, man. I, I, I know it's tough because you guys are both so busy, but I, I mean, I've talked to, to Kurt about that a million times and he's like, man, I know we need, we need to get hooked up together. Uh, that'd be a fun one, um, you know, to see you guys collaborate there. But, uh, yeah, Instagram, uh, Casper Clint, all one word. Facebook's just Clint Casper. Um, you know, podcast wise, man, I'm kind of, kind of all over the place, you know, um, <laughs> Brian's over at is Elevated and where to hunt and yours and working class bow hunter. And, uh, the, I just did one with the white tail distraction. Those guys are really cool from over there. They're not too far from you. I don't believe, are they Pennsylvania? They're, I mean, they're closer to Ohio, but they're not super far from you. Right.
1: No, they're, they're, yeah, they're, they're real close. I just, uh, they just had me on their podcast there probably about a month ago. Yeah. yeah they're real, real cool guys. Yeah. I
0: saw that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, uh, East coast bow hunting. Uh, I get on there from time to time and, 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 all the homies over there and whatnot. So yeah, man, I just, yeah, I mean, you know, it's always fun to jump on the podcast and especially fun to uh, jump on yours. I got, I got some blogs, some blogs over at your, um, over on your page and some different things. I'm going to get a new one up for you kind of uh, a little more in-depth on spot and stock and glassing techniques, kind of a a little rundown or a breakdown of kind of, you know, what what we talked about tonight. But, uh, yeah, definitely, uh, man, you know, can't thank you enough for having me on. Always fun to jump on. Uh, It's always fun to uh, press record. I mean, we talk all the time, but it's fun from time to time to hit the record button and jump on the podcast. And, you know, uh, we're both pretty similar on a lot of different levels. Um, which makes it fun. You know, it makes makes it fun to we're always bouncing bouncing ideas off of one another and and always having a good time. So we definitely gotta get a backcountry hunt put together. I know we've already kind of talked about that for twenty twenty. So yeah, we definitely uh after you kill your big bull and I, I get this Colorado stud under my belt, um we're gonna have to get something lined up for next year and uh hopefully hopefully I can get you out here to Ohio to chase some, uh, chase some ladies around at some point this year. Uh, our season's a little more lenient, um, than what you got over there in Pennsylvania. So hopefully later on in the year, you can come out with the old, uh, the old sharp stick and, uh, maybe try to, try to get a, uh, Ohio buck killed.
1: Yeah, no, that's, that's for sure. I'd, we talked about you know you Clint coming out for a weekend or something hunting Pennsylvania a little bit and me going to the farm country yeah. of Ohio and just kind of you know switching roles a little bit and and playing that game. I think that'd be a really a blast. So I'm I'm looking forward to that man and we'll we'll definitely record you know another podcast after our hunts are completed and done and uh, as whitetail season kicks off.
0: Yeah, absolutely, my man. It's going to be a fun year. I'm uh, pumped to see uh, pumped to see a bunch of stuff go down, and there's already been a ton of, ton of beautiful bucks and bulls and, and things go down. So yeah, it's exciting to uh, see a bunch of people already having success, and I'll be uh, looking forward, like I said, to seeing that big old uh, bugle and bull go down that you're about to kill in Idaho. So heck yeah, my homie, I'm, uh, I'm pumped for you, brother.
1: <laughs> All right, man. Clint, we will talk to you soon, and uh, you have a good night,
0: buddy.